This is the 113th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me are my dear co-hosts Robin Sinsen and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Entaru adun tasadar. Hello, friends. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Tech tab. It has been a little while since we last recorded with a delayed release due to some illness and workload, mainly on my part. But now we are here and we have Legacy Paper Play to report from. We all played last week, so let's go, guys. Robin, what have you been up to at the tables? I was back with the beans after taking the wrong deck the last turn. Sleeved up the Catherine Bean four-color good stuff deck that has been uh, so fun and uh, winning quite a lot as well. That was what I brought. So let's jump into round one for you. How uh, how did you fare? All right. So uh, this was sort of a rematch against a local DNT player, which beat me with my Beans deck two weeks ago. I think it was a, a Thursday night that never got reported on the podcast, but he, he beat me 2-0, so I finally got the rematch. I managed to to win both games, so took my revenge, and like, this matchup is, of course, super interesting. They have quite some grinding power with Yorion and Caracas and all of those interactions, but of course you have like a very serious draw engine as well, and if you can just keep them off Bowmasters and spirits so that you can draw your cards in peace uh, you will likely prevail and that is basically what happened in those decks i i managed to one for one kill all his dudes and get the catherine or murktide or something large to just beat beat him up in the in the late game right nice nice so did you, did you feel sort of that you were playing it better or what was the difference i mean of course some of it comes down to get enough reps in each matchup and like this is a new ish deck for me and need need to like know which cards to fight against and fight about and like are you forcing a spirit which card do you force do you leave vile as it is do you know don't leave vile as it is those kind of decisions is really important and i felt that i played a little bit tighter and probably made some better decisions perhaps it was a little bit of variance as well involved who knows cool so christopher what did you bring for this week i'm still on the beans train but this week i decided to spice things up and play the bug beans version that runs the witherbloom commands and stifle and there are two <laughs> quote-unquote philosophies with the deck Either you play free stifles or you play other cards like <laughs> spell pierce and another removal. And to stifle or not to stifle? Yeah, like do you want to really stifle or do you want to like cool on that part a bit? And I love stifles, so I played mm. the free stifle version. I said that I I wanted to get some like beans reps in. So here we go, another Beans variant. Round one opponent is none other than 2022 Legacy Nationals champion, former yeah. guest on the podcast. This player, Gusta, is on DNT. This can be quite scary, but somehow I managed to get the 2-0. Game one came down to, you know, putting down some good threats and by good threats i mean murktide like the murktide is the closer in this matchup bowmaster can be good sure leobold not so much 
So my only other option is really Merktide. Merktide has to close. That's the game one situation. In game two, I have this sort of weird hand. It's quite land destruction, stifle, you know, that direction. I managed to actually mana screw my mono-white opponent real hard, mm. which always feels good. I got to first stifle a fetch. Then I got to, when they had played a Stoneforge Mystic, I got to wasteland them off two mana and then i just proceeded to you know put a murktide into play a beanstalk and like all of those things while always holding stifle up in case they would find that land and get the cauldron into play i could stifle the living weapon so it just it felt so nasty stifling the living weapon that's oh man yeah that's even nice yeah it's evil and uh, like besides that i literally have one answer in the 75 to deal with that which is one children's edict but one thing this deck does really well if you remember one of our first episodes in uh, the brewer's corner we were talking a lot about dacing your mystic sanctuary to rebuy witherbloom command and doing stuff like that with the bug witch deck well let me just say that's pretty strong against dnt with the bug beans deck too so yeah two oh <laughs> nice how about you victor what did you play so this week i did bring post again but this time the mono green version which has pretty much the classic setup except you play a place of spirit guides elvish spirit guides instead of the maps trying to get to forest titans even quicker than before in my first round i faced red white initiative and the deck did sort of, you know, clockwork, clockwork work. In the first game, my opponent has a pretty decent start, but it's not that super explosive red-white initiative start that will for sure just steamroll me. They play on curve, but not anything more broken than that. So I can also play on curve. And that means that before long, I'm going to sit with Emrakul Caracas and my opponent scoops it up. The first three rounds, I felt a bit like, ooh, this could sort of escalate. And then I'm just like, no, I have time. I'll I'll be good. My opponent had the Monarch and everything, but it doesn't really matter because I am just working my way towards inevitability. So that's nice. And in the second game, I mulligan to four. My opponent mulligans to six. But I realized that my opponent has mulliganed pretty hard to find both Blood Moon and Chalice. So my opponent quickly has Chalice on one and the Blood Moon. And of course, Blood Moon is a bit of a problem for me. Chalice on one turns out not to be very much of a problem, though, because I can still find my Reclaimer through a Green Sun Zenith. We then, both me and my opponent, we proceed to draw a lot of lands at one point my opponent is thinking of attacking with a 2-2 goblin token i have four open mana two green sources three cards in my hand and they're like this just looks too much of an endurance for me to to want to waste my goblin and which is i think is the correct play the only thing is i'm sitting with three more lands in hand but of course my opponent has no idea (laughs) about that so we kept playing lands pretty much back and forth for quite a few turns and then i finally find a green sun zenith to uh find my root path purifier that's in from the sideboard and this is a lovely new card that not many people have sort of seen in action read it yes this is three and a green for an elf druid three four that says lands you control and land cards in your library 
are basic. So this one hits the battlefield and all of a sudden I have <laughs> so much mana at my disposal <laughs> and a trigger off of Dark Depths and, you know, everything. Uh, oh, oh, look, here is a live Ayavugin because I have had a, a Titan sort of attacked for a couple of times. So I have sort of searched for all of my lands that I need when I eventually sort of make the Blood Moon relevant. Fortunately for me, my opponent had drawn just about as many lands as I had. Only if I draw land, that's better for me. And if I eventually find this on the Blood Mooning, I just added this card to the deck and it was nice to get her to work as intended already in the first round. So 2-0 for me, pretty convincing and a lot of fun, I would say. Very cool to see that new sideboard card come into action as well. So powerful. Yeah, that's nasty. Very nasty. So round two then, Robin. How did you do? In round two, I'm up against eight cost. I lose both games, zero two. It basically comes down to him drawing a lot of Ursa Saga, and I need to answering the constructs one by one. In the sideboard games, I have a lot of sideboard cards that matters. I have two dress downs, which just removes the constructs if they are not equipped with the Shadow Spear. And I also have Deed to just sweep up the entire board. And I also have a Stone silence to shut off his artifact activations but i couldn't find any of those sideboard cards in the second game even though i think i saw half my deck or something like that i drew a lot of cards (laughs) but i had to answer constructs one by one i like never answered the shadow spear which means that I could not jump a block <laughs> more than like one construct would always connect with me. And that was, I think, what in the end like put him over the finish line. Yeah, it just adds up. Yeah, it adds up. And like uh, I had, uh, you know, like Bowmaster Orc army tokens that could just jump for days, but couldn't manage to put the game in that state where I where I could like turn it around. So pretty rough losing to eight cast the deck that I think that I have a dedicated sideboard for and I, sh- I should be able to take the second and third game at least. I mean, it's always rough in the in the first game if they have a good hand. That's the kind of thing that happens when you don't find the sideboard cards and it was uh, good games nevertheless. Yeah, so for my round two opponent, I'm up against this quote-unquote pseudo-mirror. This is a bug mirror, but my opponent is on Stifle Knot. This is one of those matchups where both people have a playset of Wastelands, three or more Stifles and Daces, and it's... A slugfest. Yeah, it's such a slugfest. You know, game one, my opponent managed to, you know, get their problem cards into play like uro is never fun (laughs) playing against my deck do have quite a lot of answers to deal with you know phyrexian dreadnought playing two murderous cut playing the shielded's edict fatal pushes and then just you know everyone's favorite card uh, mystic sanctuary to redo everything again i love the fatal pusher it's so funny like how it's splash excellent against this local dreadnought menace (laughs) yeah so like in game one i get overwhelmed you know it's a very sweaty game in game two i sequence quite awkwardly so i have like a days wasteland fetch type of situation with a bean in hand and a bowmaster and my plan is to not get you know i don't want to fetch turn one and then get wastelanded so I decide to play my Wasteland and pass, and my opponent just plays a fetch, 
fetches basic island and passes. And it was in this moment that I knew that I had my pants down and I was not in a happy place. Like I only have a fetch in hand also, so I can't really like daze anything because I don't have an island. Like it's theoretical island, but it's not an island. So I take my turn. I play, play the fetch and pass. My opponent plays Trop Carpet. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, it's not great. In response to the carpet, I decide to wasteland the Trop to see if I could bait out the Stifle. He doesn't bite, so I fetch and I get stifled. <laughs> it hurts so bad, boys. From here, I miss land drops three turns in a row. And my opponent is, you know, cantripping, doing some things. Eventually, I do find a land. And at this point, I have also picked up a Lorien Revealed so that I could get the next land very fast. Turn after that, I managed to squeeze in a Bowmaster. But when the Bowmaster is on the stack, I think, my opponent like plays a dress down and then just proceeds to put Uro and Dreadnought into play on their turn. And I think they might have had a 5-5 Merktide already in play. So like Uro, Dreadnought, and a 5-5 Merktide against this Bowmaster. Doesn't feel great, but... I look at my hand and I'm I already have everything figured out. So I untap, I fetch, I fatal push the dreadnought, and then I play an 8-8 Merktide with double days backup. My opponent doesn't have any good attacks suddenly. Feels great. They just pass. And I actually win from this position because this is amazing. They do the math and they're like, okay, I'm gonna have to play an Uro to gain some life. Uh, they have shumped with the Merktide already because things were getting dicey. 8-8 eight, eight is really big. Then they played an Uro to get up to 7 life. And they were like, I just need to attack with my Uro. They need to shump with their Orc army. And then they don't have like a lethal swing back. Great. So they attack with the Uro in play, and I stifle the trigger, and that's game. <laughs> wow, what a return. Yeah, game free. I think this was kind of like Tempo Beans doing its thing. You get a bean into play, you win some counter magic, you close the game with... I, I can't remember if it was Leovold or Merktide, but yeah, it felt pretty good. But that game too was pretty crazy. I went to discard twice, and, and still, this deck can recuperate really good. So yeah, 2-0. 2-1 in the game, though. I was sitting next to you, sort of watching before you made that turnaround play with the end of turn fate push i was like looking at glancing at your table i was like oh my god he's smoked there's no way that he will in any way shape or form get out of this this is the darkest timeline <laughs> and then sort of I, I i look away for two minutes and i look back and i'm <laughs> you're like scooping it up i'm like what the fuck just happened and preparing for game three <laughs> So tell us about your next round. What happened in my round while I was looking away was I was facing uh, Jeanne Natural Order. Let's say that this deck's explosive potential sort of uh, delivered a bit more than the, the previous opponent of Red White Initiative because Natural Order, as you well know, can uh, you know, be quite um, quite explosive. It's not always that I have a ton of defense set up <laughs> against this deck. I lose two games in a rather quick fashion. I do miss sequence some things that I could probably have prolonged game one a bit. But I think it's really just a question of prolonging here. Because, of course, they also play Wastelands and stuff like that, which are 
bit difficult for me to fight through. Also, it didn't draw any god hands, let's say, but I mean, that happens. I got pretty quickly dispatched by a natural order. It's a fun deck to sort of play against uh, this Jund version because it's just like everything about this deck is just nice, you know? It's a lovely, lovely deck that's like, oh, I have this, uh, you know, this goblin that taps for all of my mana and let's go. I'm going to sacrifice him because, yeah. It's done its thing. It's cool. So, O2 for me against Jund natural order. What about your round three, Robin? All right, so I'm 1-1, and this time I'm up against Mono Black Stompy, or Mono Black Control, perhaps. This is also an opponent that I managed to beat two weeks ago, so it's a rematch again. The first game I win in quite a quick fashion, just drawing a lot of more cards than what he does, and eventually just winning out with a card advantage. Then we have a super fast game two. He opens up with a thought seize, takes one of my cards, on his second turn, he plays a Dark Ritual, and then Torak, the creature, oh, yeah. the, the canter. And it's kicked because of the ritual, so I am down three cards <laughs> from my starting hand. And then to follow up on his third turn, he plays another Thoughtseize and a hymn to Torak, <laughs> which grows the dead canter. So that's uh, six, six cards discarded in the first three turns. Yes, and a 7-6 protection from white creatures (laughs) that's a problem too that that is a problem problem. so in comes the dress downs which is my only out to this guy basically or or like terminus is also an out but dress down is a little bit cleaner i guess and the, the third game is super grindy so I stabilize at one life. I keep on jumping. He has a, a Turok even in this game. And I keep on jumping it with my little orc army and orcs. And I draw a lot of cards and just like putting more orcs in front of him. But at some point I cannot keep going. <laughs> I lose 2-1. Very tight games and very fun games as well. So I'm actually down 1-2 by now. What was your third round christopher that thing you mentioned when you were at one life that's usually like the turning point where the control decks you know make a comeback and i was up against five color beans with a twist which is uh, this person loves enchantment control he's tried out all sorts of different devilry at our local game store this week he was playing like one of those lord of the rings enchantments a bath house something bath song i can't remember but practically what it does is it draws two and then you discard a card for the first two like lore counters is that the name when you sacrifice it you get to put any number of target cards i think from your graveyard back into your library and then add blue blue And my opponent is on a, you know, beanstack. They also play Shark Typhoon and Replenish and uh, the full (laughs) playset of Leyline Binding. And game one is just such a slugfest. Like, we're both trying to say, no, you can't draw cards. I'm going to destroy your beans and, you know, just do all sorts of, you know, things. When my opponent eventually cracks the saga that makes mana and put back cards, they put back everything that's not a land or enchantment. 
into the deck, like forces, cantrips, and all that, all that jazz. And then they play a veil. And I'm sitting there going, shit, 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 shit. Okay, I have to force the veil. <laughs> then they just jam a replenish, and suddenly they have that massive five-mana enchantment that's green that makes uh, an ooze, or what is it? Like, it makes... A fractal. Yeah, a fractal. Puts that shark typhoon into play, one or two beanstalks, and a ley line binding. Like, everything gets back into play, and also that enchantment. And I'm sitting there stressed as hell. Sure, I have a bowmaster in play. It's gonna have... Oh, no, in hand. It's gonna have to do a lot, a lot of heavy lifting this game. My opponent's just making, you know, massive creatures and it's getting more and more stressful. Like a lot of sharks, one ones, five fives. Eventually we're in a situation where they are sort of looping Veil of Summer with Search for Ascanta and Mystic Sanctuary and things like that. I need to create some urgency so that I can with the Bloom command them for two without it being veiled. So I actually managed to do exactly that because they were at two life <laughs> after all of this. And my opponent is just like in disbelief. We both thought that that game was so over. So that was a 36 minute slugfest game mm. one. And he's a bit of, you know, soul crushed. Like that doesn't happen from that position. But also he says, I'm not going to be able to win, I think, like a game. But I was like, yeah, but we can play. And then I beat him in game two in six minutes. <laughs> wow. I got to stifle his second land. I got to play a Leovold with force days backup. And then that Leovold de- dealt 15 damage. Cool. Cool. So, Victor, what about your round three? Well, I did also a bit of a, let's say, rematch against... Uh, the last time I brought the post, I played this opponent on uh, Doomsday, which if you remember that episode, it wasn't fair, let's just say. And now I'm sitting next to them and they are on an Aetherflux Reservoir mono artifact blue deck and i'm like "Mm, this is going to be a bit tricky the first game i can't really remember what happens i think i have just pretty bad cards don't really get to do much and they get to do a lot i early managed to i i put pitting needle on manifold key that's the that's the turn one play so my turn one play was nothing and my turn two plays oh i'm gonna that that needs a needle because that looks dangerous you're gonna use that but from that i don't really have anything so i think they win with constructs or something and in the second game they just have everything it's i think they play four monoliths they fetch everything with their sagas Uh, i have glacial chasm going and sort of copying it and stuff so it takes them quite some time to win But let's just say that they're getting a lot of triggers off. And I take my turn and I sort of, yeah, okay. I mean, sort of the the most soul-crushing part of this this O2 loss, which this comes down to, is when I have these two Elvish Reclaimers that I am trying to do things with. And in response to sort of me doing something, he echoing truths them i'm like who plays echoing truth these days but apparently it's a great card nothing i've played around let's just say these weird combo decks they just keep comboing me out (laughs) i don't know it's always scary also that player like primarily plays combo and is quite efficient with lines and you know that everything is sort of calculated and Mm -hmm. you know 
the echoing truth is just like what the doctor ordered you know it's it's, it's really nice but yeah that's a cool deck it is really nice it, it, it's horrible for me and it's a cool deck well i'm gonna have to get back to the drawing board on sort of how to beat that type of deck but it was a fun experience i never seen Etherflux reservoir getting quite so many triggers as happened in this in the second game of my third round of match but uh, there you have it was that the uh, the coveted jewel transmute artifact deck yes this also has transmute yeah. artifact yeah it's the new kid on the block it's the new kid on the block all right so speaking of unfair magic in the fourth round <laughs> we have a pod mirror <laughs> we do we do take it away boys i am happy to be paired up against victor until i realize what he's playing <laughs> <laughs> so from my point of view like my perspective i just play lands and threats and try to deal as much damage as possible before he just plays a big fucking titan that kills me and i lose zero two <laughs> yeah, from from my perspective, it's like in the first game, pretty much like my first game in my first run, where I just sort of on curve get to Emmerich, play lands, play more lands, get some more mana. Oh, I have Ugin, and then here we go. It's just so fucking stressful as a control player, especially when you have <laughs> like free Saint Catherine and Merktide, and that's the clock. Or, or like work, which like never get any triggers. It's just. Two, two. Sure, if Victor has the one ring, but then you're in other trouble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like he'll then take that. Anyway. He'll take that damage. Like no problem. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, also it's like, oh, I take three from drawing cards, and then I I put down a glimmer pose and gain six, and it's just. <laughs> exactly (laughs) and i was like i have no cards for this matchup and i don't think i should have cards for this matchup as well i think i need to dedicate too many slots to make it even so to say to have a chance in the post board i don't think it's worth it the last list i played i ran two opposition agents in the sideboard that can be that that can be be nasty against the green sun and titans and stuff like that and i yeah it's it's a card that has text yeah yeah absolutely but it's also a beater like you need to get him in <laughs> i like that i like that much more than the orb which turns off like the man yeah, user lands because i think that would just get besieged. yeah and opposition agent would be a problem also because you could probably surprise snag it at least one time because it's not something that you usually are prepared for because as we said previously on this podcast it's sort of just as much of an underplayed card for it to surprise people more often than it should. Because like in the, in the second game, yep. I just have to mention this, you resolve three Leyline Bindings, and I'm like, this is not a problem. Because you had like a lot of carpets in play, and I had to take the carpets first. <laughs> then rings and carpets. It was terrifying. That's fine. No problem. I am the 37 life when we end the second game. You're at 19 when you scoop. And it also feels like extra bad if uh, you really feel like you have to go for those ley line bindings and you don't have a beanstalk or something in play. It's just like, if I don't do this, I'm going to get tightened. So hopefully you had one of those. Uh, you at least felt that you had some fighting chance. I think I had a draw engine on board, but I, I don't really remember. I don't have notes from the, from those matches. Yeah, you you drew cards, but I don't think you felt that you had a fighting chance. No, exactly. I, I had the engine online, but engine didn't do anything. When you have like a Titan under one of your Leyline Bindings, and then I exile it to get my Titan back and get new land triggers, it just feels right. Yeah, that even was more also... horrible. It's just fantastic. So uh, I end up at 2-2. Two, two. 
for the evening and you at 1-3, I guess. So, Christopher, what about your last round as you didn't sit down at our cozy get-together? I was paired up against the other undefeated player in the room and uh, he told me that the person who's giving him a ride is i think might have gotten the buy or something and i was like are you okay with splitting he's just gonna go to like the supermarket and then we'll be like out of here hopefully and i was just like yeah sure do you want to play some uh, casual games like just for fun for glory he was on eight cast it's one of those games you know not really super worth on reporting on because we were both you know kind of just taking it easy but i think if i would have played that matchup 10 times with this deck i think i might have won like two stifle is so good constructs are really hard to beat and also that new ward creature or new or new the two mana ward creature patchwork automaton yeah patchwork automaton is a house in this matchup we split the final afterwards he was like yeah you can take the for glory 4-0 so i did that and then i sat and watched victor demolish robin you should mention also this tournament had 29 players which was uh, i think really great for a thursday yeah it's great yeah. super cool speaking of super cool things we have an interesting event coming up at the lgs in april do you want to give us the rundown of this robin i don't have all the details but it's a win an underground sea event with a savannah as sort of a lottery prize involved as well so the winner of the whole event will win an underground sea and a player who have played all the rounds but didn't top eight will get like a lot be in a lottery for a savannah so a little cooler prizes than we're usually used to i think some sort of community judge construction that i'm not really sure how it will play out but yeah it's like pooling sort of instead of having an official judge for this tournament they're pooling that fees from entry the tournament will be community judged by the players so to speak and this has been done for modern at our city and other places and it's reportedly has worked out well i don't think i'm gonna be able to make it for this tournament regardless because there is you know easter holidays for kids and stuff like that but it'll be interesting to see how it works out does this clash with GovCon? no oh thank god 7th april whoo nervous there it's cool to see more more events like different kind of events and like usually when we have big tournaments in stockholm it's connected to the league which is really cool but like having more events that is not connected to the league that is like standalone events uh, i'm all for it i want to play more magic <laughs> i hope everyone in the discord is gonna go stockholm legacy report tournament when Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we will announce the second to last round that it's actually a tournament in who brought the best basics so uh, <laughs> jokes on you because we will have prepared and so should you basic land invitational and that is all we have for this episode we do hope that you have enjoyed listening to it thanks to everyone who reaches out to us so let us know that you enjoyed the episodes it's a true pleasure for us and if you listener want to get in on the love one place is in our discord you can find a link in the episode description another way is to slide into our dms with your deck picks robin where do you like to have hot stuff sent to you? <laughs> That's such a dangerous sentence, man. Send me just messages, please. I am an OX. My name is Jacka underscore Bo. And if you want to send me some nice deck pics or, you know, whatever you feel like, I'm at MonolithMTG. 
And you can send me your deck picks at Disco Drogo. And that is the end of the 113th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson C. and Christopher Rikström. I am Victor Bernhards. Many thanks to you for listening. The wonderful Furnaces with their music. If you like our jingles, you can find more of their work on Spotify. And until our next episode, make sure to get your flares out of the shiny parts of your cards when you photograph them for us.